For January 13th, 2020, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 602. Anti-time, Data! Anti-time! Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like a crew trekking through the stars who have known each other for uh, these 11 years, actually longer than the the seven-year run of Star Trek The Next Generation. And we on the Overthinking It podcast today have decided that in order to prepare for the CBS all-access show uh, Picard, starring Patrick Stewart uh, as the titular former starship captain and uh, starfleet officer that uh that we uh, which you know we'll we'll probably watch because we like we like patrick stewart but uh you know whether whether we subscribe to um you know whether we subscribe to cbs all access or it falls off the back of a shuttlecraft we'll probably watch this uh this show but we need to get ready we need to delve deep into who picard was who he is and who he will be, and so we're uh, we're gonna uh, take a little look uh, together today at the Star Trek: The Next Generation series finale, The Best of Both Worlds, Part One and Two. So uh, I'm is, Matt- is that a joke, Matt? <laughs> that wasn't the, that wasn't the series finale. <laughs> it, sometimes it feels like it. You're talking about all good things. Oh. Right? totally totally and it's the funny thing is i actually have the title of the episode up in (laughs) in the window in front of me and it's just a better episode honestly (laughs) oh man Uh, that was completely unintentional but i think my unconscious just threw some shade at the series finale no not the uh not the the um season three finale wasn't it season three or four no but the the uh, uh, the series finale, all good things, um, which you know shows up. Q says the line in the episode, uh, a- along with a uh, reference to your trek through through the stars. All right, so uh, I'm Matt Rather, and apparently I am a senile old starship captain. I don't know what day it is. What day is it? I'm I'm joined uh, by uh, officers, bridge officers, Mark Lee. Hello, Mark. Reporting for duty, Matt. And uh, Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hello. Uh, I just was in the holodeck. Um, I apparently am going to uh, have to do my job now and pretend that I'm not a World War One fighter pilot. So uh, apologize for apologize <laughs> if that seems distracting. <laughs> so it would it would be good to start with a uh, it would be good to start with a you know a little synopsis of the plot in case you haven't actually seen it. So this, the the story is told in a nonlinear order, and events become clear through fa- flashbacks and time travel experiences from the central character. Uh, where the story describes the stories of Jean Luc Picard, a, a French. Uh, Starship captain from Earth who believes he was held in an alien zoo on the fictional planet of Tralfamador and has experienced time travel. He's become unstuck in time. Now, as a chaplain's assistant in the United States Army during World War II, Picard is an ill-trained... the heart surgery episode. ...disoriented and fatalistic American soldier who finds he does not like war and refuses to fight. He is captured in 1944 by the Germans during the Battle of the Bulge. Picard opposed his death uh, due to a string of events before the Germans capture him. He meets Roland. Wait, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm reading the plot synopsis of Slaughterhouse Five from uh, Oh, okay, from Wikipedia. 
Um, the, uh, <laughs> no, the the uh, I don't know. Would you uh, some let's let's tag sure. team let's tag team this one. It begins with Picard reveal. It, well, it begins with Troy and and, uh, and Worf on the holodeck. Um, you know, discussing some drama with Troy's ex boyfriend, and uh, the um, and the captain shows up and says, "What day is it?" and reveals that he has been traveling through time. Pete, I'll let you take it from here. Sure. So what happens is that you go through three stories. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Star Trek The Next Generation at all, uh, this is a bookend to the very first episode. So in the very first episode of the show, you find out that uh, humanity is put to a test and they have to and, and Picard, the captain of the spaceship, has to decide whether to respond to an alien being with hostility that what well, that he doesn't understand. Right. Or instead to kind of show it mercy and generosity. And by showing the uh, the Picard shows this uh, alien being mercy and generosity, these all power for other aliens called the Q decide that humanity won't be destroyed. And then they can instead kind of go through the stars and the running theme through the whole show is like, we are, we are getting better. We are being better. We're overcoming all of our kind of bad behavior problems. Humanity is progressing and we're exploring. And a lot of episodes are like, Oh man, this strange monster is causing a bunch of problems. Um, Hey, maybe it needs to be helped rather than hurt, right? And so, so this is the bookend, right, where Picard is unstuck in time and finds gradually that he is participating in yet another test, like an extension of this first test, where in the first test in the show, it's are you barbaric or in a sense, are you, are you brutal and violent or are you at least open-minded and merciful enough to coexist with other creatures, right? Other sentient beings. And this time it's a little bit more complicated, which is that it's a mystery where Picard is traveling back and forth through time with the knowledge that somehow through this traveling, he is responsible for the destruction of humanity and he doesn't know how or why. And all of this is part of a test. So he has to figure out what it is that he did to cause the destruction of humanity while at the same time trying to prevent it. Uh, and I guess I'll hand it back to you, Matt, as, as you go from there. Um, or Mark, you want to explain some more? Mark, yeah, you, you, you tag in. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go for it. It, it. it is actually an interesting problem to, uh, to try to recap this, right, because of the nonlinearity of it and the three branching timelines. But uh, maybe I'll kind of like tackle the, the different uh, feelings for each of the timelines, right? Uh, and we'll go from there. Future Picard, um, who actually starts creates the anomaly uh, and, and gets everyone into the mess because I don't know, because of his curiosity, because of his penchant for action, no, really because of his anxiety over getting old and senile, right? He's got like future Alzheimer's disease, aromatic syndrome. Um, he knows that something's going on and he's traveling through time. People think that he's crazy, but they indulge him because of loyalty and because of the captain and things like that. Um, as he goes through and pieces of the puzzle of what's going on, he realizes that his crew has drifted apart. There's an animosity from uh, grievances from long ago, romances that have gone south, those sorts of things. Um, but ultimately, uh, after much struggle, he convinces uh, his old crew that he is right, that all this crazy stuff is happening. And he convinces everyone to go to the deference system, collapse the anomaly, sacrifice the ship um, mm-hmm. very, very keenly at, at, at the end in order to stop the destruction of, of, of uh, mankind uh, in the quote unquote present timeline. Um, that's the one where, you know, Picard is most in control of his crew, of the situation. People basically believe him. It's like, OK, yeah, the captain says he's traveling through time. I guess, yeah, he probably is. And let's, you know, he, oh, the Q stuff. Yeah, we well, you know about that. Um, let's do this. And likewise, he convinces his crew. 
have to travel into the building anomaly, sacrifice a ship and save humanity. The pa- the the past uh, young Picard um, shows up, just starts barking out random orders and disobeying orders from Starfleet. Um, it won't tell people what's going on, and people think the new captain is a little bit kooky, but they're along for the ride until the point where he says, oh, we have to uh, steer the ship into the anomaly and possibly destroy it. Um, but I believe in you because you're the best uh, crew in all of Starfleet and the fate of all humanity is at stake, so let's do this. And they don't mutiny, as you probably would expect them to do, actually, and then uh, they throw the ship into the uh, anomaly, and uh, they save the day. Hooray! So, Matt, you want to explain some more of it? <laughs> I, I guess, uh, and and then they play cards. So the the thing, you know, <laughs> was there? I mean, the so the the thing that that uh, is interesting, like the the passing the test part of it, is that Picard's you know limited human brain Q determines could understand paradox. Now, I'm not exactly sure what the paradox is. Uh, you know, it's like once you accept the sort of sci-fi rules of like, well, things can travel backward through time, anti-time data, anti-time, that the, uh, you know, that the, the, um, anomaly is bigger, anomaly is bigger in the past. And, you know, the blowing up of the pasture, the breach of the warp core or something having to do with tachyon, something, something, um, you know, is, is responsible for the, uh, uh, is responsible for the anomaly for the kind of the anti-time thing, which is so big that it it uh, prevents you know proteins from forming in prehistoric or in primeval Earth. That uh, you know the the um, once you accept that, it doesn't seem like. Uh, it doesn't seem like that hard, right? Like it's, this is, we all, we all watch Star Trek and we all live in a universe in which we can understand the rules of storytelling in Star Trek. And these are people who presumably live by these rules every day because it's the world that they live in, these characters. And so, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it, it seemed a little, uh, it seemed a little, little weak to me in terms of like, uh, you know, this, this is what, um, this is what involved passing the test because it didn't involve any sort of self overcoming in a way that that was meaningful to the character of Picard over, you know, over time. Um, yeah, I think that, yeah. um, that what I would, would add to that is that I feel like it's baked into the episode in some way, but it's not quite coming across in the way that things are being portrayed to us. Because one, one thing that I wonder, and I've seen this episode a bunch of times at this point, but the most recent one felt like the best. I liked it more this time around than I have in past ones, probably because I've all experienced more of the passage of time uh, and, and would also understand uh, both the blessing and the curse of encountering anti-time in the wild. Uh, but uh, both why you would want to shoot an inverse tachyon beam at a problem and also why you might cause a problem by shooting an inverse tachyon beam at it. But but the point being that um, when Picard moves from one version of himself to the other version of himself, it's suggested that the version of himself that he is at the time both carries with it some aspect of his current personality, like his current consciousness and personality and short-term memory. He he has a seat. He, he starts out totally disoriented before the episode even starts with this thing happening, but he, he seems to carry with him some degree of of his brain, right? His brain chemistry is even starting to show that he's traveling from place to place. But at the same time, when he arrives places, he also has the knowledge and experience of who he is in that time period. And also the behavior 
of who he might be in that time period, right? Old Picard is is kind of ornery and is very resentful about people marginalizing him because of his dementia. And so it wouldn't be quite the same if it's just, you know, middle Picard is being transferred into the body of old Picard. Why would he act like old Picard, right? And similarly, young Picard has this whole vibe with his crew where he's being very erratic and the crew is paying attention to him and listening to him because he's the captain. And there seems to be this sort of fantasy being played out of a young captain and the sort of power that comes with that to tell people to do anything, even go to their own deaths, and the sort of strange spiraling possibilities that might come from that. So it sort of seems like baked into that somewhere is this notion that Picard has is not actually like his consciousness jumping from one place to the other in a kind of semi-linear way is a bit of a cheat. But otherwise, he might have been expected to try to figure this out in different time periods in his life. Right. Like like as in, you know, you had to do something when you were in elementary school. And if you didn't do it, the thing that you did when you're 30. Right. Well, you have to do that, too. But uh, if you didn't do the first thing, then the second thing doesn't matter. And if you didn't do the second thing, also, the thing you have to do when you're 70 also doesn't matter. Right. Imagine what it would have to be like to solve a problem like that in a nonlinear way. I mean, I guess the way that we treat it is like education. Right. It's like you have to pass tests when you're in first grade. You have to pass tests when you're in eighth grade. You have to pass tests when you're in 12th grade. Right. 13th grade, 14th grade in life. Uh, there are tasks that people take on that they do in a sort of nonlinear way spread out over their entire lives, kind of semi simultaneously. Um, but but it's interesting that that's for me would be the thing that would really make the concept of the episode uh hit home a little bit more uh, because just intercutting dif- between the different uh, uh, storylines, the different time periods just makes it, makes it too easy. Right. It, it, you know, he seems to be able to switch between time periods sort of at will. Sometimes he's thrust into it against his will. But if there were really a sense where he has to overcome his, whatever his mentality is at the time, or, or that when his sort of consciousness enters a particular time period, the thing he remembers doing is the thing that he was doing not the thing that he was doing in the past, right? Um, that might have, I mean, then it would be like a memento kind of thing. You could see him kind of assembling a mystery. And that's, I guess, what the Q continuum wanted him to do. But then the Q, who likes Picard, made it easier by kind of jolting him around. But there's this, there's supposed to be this idea that Picard both realizes that in searching for the problem, he causes the problem. And then uh, in in sort of sacrificing himself, he solves the problem. Um, and, and, and that those things sort of happening simultaneously in a paradoxical way is what makes humanity worth saving and moving forward. That, I think you're right in that that's the weakest part of the episode. I think the, the idea that, that this is not by far the most challenging thing that Picard has had to do. It's not even the most challenging thing with regards to nonlinear time that Picard has had to do, which is almost certainly that whole living 74 years, right. Or whatever in a, in a strange planet, learning to play the flute before it's destroyed by a supernova. Like, right. That's probably the strangest and most (laughs) grueling nonlinear time he's had to experience. And in fact, with that in his back pocket, this should probably be pretty easy, right? Like we're talking a guy about a guy where most of his memories are from a like crazy experience that he had with a nonlinear time probe. Sort of. He only lived through, he only lived through his adulthood in that thing. So you could say maybe it's only like 35 years. Yeah, exactly. His (laughs) decade, you know, a few, three, three or four decades, you know, that's what is that compared with the, um, as the as the humanoid progenitor says, what is that compared to the the vast reaches of of space or eternity right. or something? Hey, um, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So we're talking about like what the overall thrust of 
the episode is and the moral or the lesson of it, um, such as it were. Um, I want to dig into this a little bit more um, because I feel like part of what if you go back to what caused uh, all this mess to begin with, right, is that old Picard, um, he thinks that something is wrong in the Devron system and he's got to go find out and he's got to shoot his inverse tachyon beam into the thing, right? Is the show kind of saying that, like, this sort of uh, boundless ambition and actually, like, this drive to continue to, you know, explore um, and discover and achieve and this, that, the other, that that's part of the problem and that... Uh, all this is kind of like, hey, take a chill pill. Just kind of like accept things. <laughs> is that what Q's uh, try, trying to get people at? That's interesting. I, I, my, my gut is to say no, but that's only be probably because I'm protecting Star Trek. I think that there's a dimension of it in there, which is that we do cause our own problems. I think, I think that that watching this episode this time, the thing that really s- struck me is this sort of symbolic relations kind of outside of the core sci-fi plot and what that means about the sort of Star Trek mission and what Star Trek is saying about humanity and what you're saying, this idea that when we go and we try to solve every solve every problem the same way that, and we don't acknowledge that different situations might cause call for different solutions or we don't change over time, uh, we we create an unhealthiness. Uh, and and uh, in this case, it's portrayed as kind of like a critical failure of humanity to reproduce. But but then it's weird because this is where we get off the rails of a sort of representational depiction of a sci-fi story and off onto this idea of uh, the things that are happening are metaphorical and symbolic. Uh, but before we go too and deep also, into that, also, was, yeah. also meta. Right. Like, right. You know, well, talk, very like, meta. Right. Because on, this on is an episode. Itself. This is an episode about. This is the final episode of a show that was canceled at the end of the season, where it was like nominated for an Emmy for best drama. Right. Like, like the where it was quite successful and very easily could have kept going for more time. Right. Although I do know that that Matt has some opinions about the seventh season of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, if you want to share them, I mean, I will pause and you can jump in. Oh, sure. I mean, I don't, we did a we did a list of uh, Star Wars movies, so let's do Star Trek: The Next Generation seasons. Uh, friends, brethren, the crewmates, <laughs> shipmates. The, <laughs> the, the the canonical ordering is three, five, six, four, two, seven, two, one. So uh, there are the Roddenberry seasons of Star Trek: The Next Generation, which are one and two. Uh, one one being worse than two, but those are the worst two seasons of Star Trek: The Next generation um and then there is three which is miraculous and wonderful and then so uh five six four and seven are the ones that you have to contend with and i I put seven at the end uh of the non-roddenberry seasons which are you know objectively better than the roddenberry seasons largely because you know the the thing that's quoted a lot is roddenberry wouldn't allow uh conflict between the the uh, main characters of the show, everyone had to be sort of evolved and like, you know, I'm okay, you're okay about everything in this, you know, 1960s utopian optimism post, you know, this this sort of very, this very, uh, this very 60s utopian post-capitalism that he envisioned. Um, 
that uh you know uh made for bad drama and then so the three through seven are are better and and seven like i don't know seven to me was not the was not the best one it's the one it, it was in fact the worst of those of those five like it's the one in which like they discover warp warp travel is uh polluting the polluting the universe and so you can only go warp five except in every story you hear we've gotten special permission from star from starfleet command to go over the warp five uh, uh, speed limit or warp six or what, whatever it was. So you know they they, just... uh, they they purchased some dilithium offsets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that that like uh, yeah, it's uh, and and then it's the one you know in which the the sort of gorilla Bajoran um, thing uh, you know plot. The Maquis, yeah. Well, the Maquis are the are the yeah. The Maquis are the are the gorillas, but the sort of the oppressed Bajorans and the Cardassians who you know uh, who uh, crushed them under their Cardassian boots and, and all this comes into into uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. And it was that I mean that plot was much more at home in Deep Space Nine because of of market differences of tone. Um, between the two, you know, between the two series. Right. So the, the, uh, yeah, it just, I, it wasn't, its concerns were not to me as, as, uh, as successful, but you know, that said, I, you know, in five, six and four, I guess seasons are, you know, that's, that's just dealer's choice. It's it's however, what, what the episode that you happen to remember on a particular day when you're trying to, to make yeah. the ordering. So the, the gist of it is that this is a show that is trying that it feels like the show is kind of straining against itself and trying to grow. And it has two spinoffs that are going to come out in the subsequent years. And it still has a pretty big share mind share in the culture, but it's being canceled. And the episode seems to be wrestling with that as much as with all of its other themes, particularly with the idea that Picard, the main character, is diagnosed with uh, horrible dementia that presumably involves hallucinations and other terrible things. And there are conversations about like, you know, oh, I don't want to see you go. Right. Oh, you know, I don't know how to say goodbye. I have to give tough news to people. And he's like, oh, you'll see me. I'll still be around. Don't worry. I'll be in syndication. They'll run reruns. Right. Like, it's fine. Guys, we'll Um, totally we'll totally be friends after college. We'll start a blog. There'll be movies. You know, we'll do a whole bunch of great movies. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, And and so, like, there's a lot of Uh, one one great movie, which is Star Trek Insurrection, uh, about which I will not tolerate anything bad. Being said, <laughs> dune buggies. <laughs> oh man! Wait, I thought the dune oh, buggies was that were nemesis. nemesis. Maybe the dune yeah, buggies were nemesis. nemesis. Yeah. Okay. Right, fair enough. Fair nemesis. enough. Victoria, you're victorious. All right, great. But yeah, so so this is a show that is that is on its face has a sci-fi premise about a sort of Roddenberryan premise that's about like sort of philosophical uh, mind broadening. It's it's not even Roddenberry. It's a psychedelic premise. Right. It's yeah. a sci-fi psychedelic premise in it, which is told in an episode that isn't psychedelic enough to get the point across, which is that people should broaden their minds, dude, in order to kind of get past the limitations of how they feel and think about society, man. Right. And it's like you need to recognize that everyone is one and time is nonlinear. And like you need to take a ride and like realize that the world is, is so much huge. The universe is so much huger than you thought it was before. So it's like there's this sort of. 
you know, it, it is it is sort of a corollary to certain other sorts of 60s utopian ethoses. Um, ethai, ethase, I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, someone, yeah, someone in the, someone yeah, in the comments, yeah, what is the correct, uh, you know, plural, yeah, of ethos? Yeah. Uh, maybe it is already plural, an etho or etho. But anyway, but it's also a sort of uh, ironic farewell, like uh, to Star Trek The Next Generation that is both, uh, kind of talking about the thing that you are it's it's both grateful that it happened and sad that it's ending and is trying to reconcile the notions of gratitude and and grief um and, and in a relationship with the future and the past like wanting to move on and having the necessity of moving on versus uh the desire to stop things from changing and and that is kind of uh, worked into the episode in some shorter scenes that I think are pretty powerful, like a scene where Jordy LaForge is sight is restored while at the same time they they show a uh, science officer who uh, loses her pregnancy. <laughs> right. And so it's sort of like, wow, what a what a devil's bargain this is. Right. This anti time that we're dealing with. You can have eternal youth, but it'll lead to the extermination. Not eternal youth. You can you can not age. But the alternative to aging is is everybody dies right? like everybody ceases to exist. We all get Benjamin buttoned and there's no more humanity, um, which is which is the thing that was sort of missed when we were describing the plot of this episode, which is that the big threat is that a a temporal explosion started in the future will travel backward and get bigger and bigger and bigger the farther backward into the past that it goes until it it sort of consumes most of the galaxy and prevents life from ever even starting on Earth. Right. And, and it's this notion like, that there the is ultimate arrest, uh, the ultimate arrested development. Right, right, right. Exactly. The amino acids that are trying to get together and create the first life molecules are not going to join. And and it's going to happen because at some point at the end, they tried to do something wrong. Right. Which I guess you could interpret as, you know, they didn't really Picard didn't wouldn't retire. He wouldn't move on. He had to fire. He had to start the anti. He had to release the anti time. Right. Uh, at, at the end of things, because um, it's in his nature. But then at the same time, kind of had to. Uh, put the enterprise in the center of this this pain, this sort of uh, wound in the universe between time and anti time, and use the enterprise in the past, present, and future to kind of heal it up and close it up. And I really, you know, I hadn't even thought, but Pete, it's a great note. It's a great script note. That it would be, and and I wonder if it's too complicated for the television of the time. But that the task, the critical task, the the sort of overcoming um, that's necessary. Is it clear what I mean when I say overcoming? Like the hard thing, the hard yeah. you know sacrifice that has to be made, or you know the sign um, that that Picard has you know um, passed the test or like done whatever story thing he needs to do in order to kind of. Uh, win um, the show, right? Like, should be different in young life, in middle age, and in in mm. old age. You know that that it's it should be appropriate to the uh, it should be appropriate to the um, uh, to the stage of life that he is. Now, I, I guess the closest it gets to that is the three different modes of persuasion that he uses mm-hmm. like in the middle one it, it's as as i think mark pointed out he's at his most uh in command they all trust each other he says he's traveling through time you know um in the in the in the end he's he's a member of a marginalized group right <laughs> like he's uh not only is he elderly but he's elderly with a disability you know and 
that's and there's all kinds of patronizing stuff that that uh, people say and do to him, including you know sedating him against <laughs> involuntarily uh, in order to you know make him less make this this uh, senior citizen less of a nuisance. Um, and uh, when he's young, he gives an inst- he gives a, a stirring speech, an inspiring speech about how he knows. Um, that everyone is going to be uh, the greatest crew in Starfleet, which in context should not work, but works because of the music that they put with it and, <laughs> and also works because we know, you know, uh, we know who Picard is and we know who, um, who these people are and we make the connection. It's like a closure that happens in the mind of the viewer, even though um, it is... I think unearned in the in you know in point of fact in context in in the plot the I mean the other thing you know yeah that so that like that that would be that would be better the other thing that you say that's interesting that I just sort of repeat to highlight it more for my sake um, is that the alternative the alternative to aging and death is stasis is like you know is a is a kind of stopping. Uh, a kind of stopping of time, right? Like, and that means no, that means no aging and death. That means no blind Jordy because his eyes can regrow because he's useful. He's youthful. He's born again, uh, perpetually, um, in the presence of the anti time. But it also means that it also means no reproduction, no new life, no, no children, no family, no, you know, uh, no sort of no moving on. So, so, so the the I guess the the I guess the kind of the question the central question is um must all good things come to to an end you know uh and I guess and and what what Q says in the end you think he's being a jerk you think Picard is lost when Q says oh well I'll miss this but all good things must come to an end but that's Q informing Picard of the success condition right mm-hmm. like what what Q is saying is that he has enjoyed being a viewer of the television show Star Trek yes, the Next yes. Generation and that he's sorry uh you know that it that it uh is that this is the the finale uh the season finale obviously uh called the best of both worlds part part one and two but the the um the success condition is that you realize it's so so in in a way it's an anti-immortality show you know and that that uh which is interesting like in a in a season as you say which was popular in a season of a show that could have gone on and made money for paramount for a couple more years right the idea that the the finale is an argument for mortality is interesting and i i guess you've you've sort of you've sort of rescued it because like i i, I was not i don't know i felt like a lot of the a lot of the gestures at the the kind of maturity that you're talking about and sort of realizing the ways in the, the way in which you know entrenched patterns of behavior cause your own problems or your own or the way that character is fate right like in in tragedy and kind of realizing that in your own life as I age and in my own life I should say as I age um, that this makes it uh, more touching I, I felt like uh, you know I I um, 
I appreciated all of that, but I felt like uh, in the script, and, and I really shouldn't throw shade at the script because it's uh, it's Ronald D. Moore and, and the other guy, um, uh, Braga, right, uh, who wrote it. But the I shouldn't throw shade at the script, but it, it feels to me a lot like the methodology in this, and it is Star Trek The Next Generation at all, but like the methodology is tell, don't show. You know, and so the idea that like Q informs him that like your entrenched patterns of behavior, you know, are causing you, uh, are, are causing you this, this repetitive problem and this return of the repressed and this, you know, thing in your life that comes up again and again and again. And it's like, it's like having a cosmic psychoanalyst and not necessarily a, a sci-fi antagonist, but the, the, um, you know, so, and, and it, it's sort of Star Trek, it's Star Trek Solutions itself, where it's like, ah, yes, obviously the, um, the, uh, obviously the answer is to create a static warp shell. But I guess, I guess I, I wasn't giving the kind of the metaphorical side of this, uh, of this story it's due. And I don't mean the, the sort of meta, uh, metaphorical side or the kind of the stories that we can tell about the story as overthinkers and kind of like analysts of uh, the plot ex post facto. I mean, like what, what the, the work of art, what the work of writing kind of sets out to accomplish. Um, yeah. Author, you know, though, though uh, I, I guess author immortality is, is not, not desirable. And so the, the author uh, is dead, but it, you know, I guess, I guess what it's saying at a, at a metaphorical level is you have to go straight into the, uh, I mean, you have to Star Trek beyond, you know, you have to Star Trek uh, into darkness though, though it's actually uh, funny enough. It's figured, it's actually represented as blinding white light in the, um, in the actual episode, you have to kind of hurdle headlong into the center of death. Um, you know, and and only through that uh, will you be reborn, yeah. my child. I mean, the that's that the really is end. psychedelic, by the yeah. way. Yeah, the, the, it's a space baby kind of story. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, the the bookend that comes to mind that just sprung to mind when we're talking about so I, I, the the strength the strength of the script I think is the, in the little moments that are very economical in terms of how much they flesh out what the story is about. Yeah, you said you said that before. Did, catalog a couple of those because I think yeah. you're right. So like, there's the scene we talked about already where Jordy gets his eyesight back and another woman loses her baby. If you go back to the beginning of the first part of the episode, Jordy, old Jordy, right? Vis- and this is that stuff that happens to mid- mid- middle Jordy, right? Middle Jordy is the one who gets his sight back, right? Not, not young Jordy, it's middle Jordy. And then old Jordy at the beginning of the show goes to Picard and he is like talking about his kids, right? His kid is applying to the academy. What's the, and he's wearing this sort of very nice, I think, purple semi formal spaceman outfit. And uh, and Picard says to him, "What does he say to him? Do you remember?" Uh, uh, starting at the academy, um, I'll bet Boothby is still the is still the gardener. <laughs> yeah, no. he says time has treated you well. Uh... And 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 Jordy says maybe a little too well, and like pats his stomach. And so the idea is that time is treating him well. Uh, Anti time is going to treat him differently, right? Like uh, time has given him. Yes, it's kind of deteriorated his body as he's gotten older. He's gained some weight, but think of all of the blessings that time has given him. But this, right? but it's also like I, I think it's interesting. Where I thought you were going to go with that point is that he actually doesn't have a visor in the future. He yeah. has like better, uh, you know, eye implants rather than the 
the uh, assistive device that goes on his face. And that, like, uh, he maintains these for the films because LeVar Burton has a, is a uh, very handsome man and has great, uh, great soulful eyes and very expressive eyes as an actor. And they're, they're a big asset and, like, covering them up in a mask is, uh, you know, uh, I suppose it's a, like a theatrical acting challenge, but, like, you know, you do, you do get a lot from, uh, from Jordy's eyes. And, uh, you know, it's sort of interesting. You don't have to take my word for it. (laughs) (laughs) You do. But, uh, it, it is interesting because the, the story, the kind of the, um, you know, the disability rights story in Star Trek is the one where, where Jordy decides to keep his visor, uh, you know, because he, uh, it, it, he actually, you know, feels like it's a part of him and he, you know, makes the case that he has an identity and that identity has a, uh, dignity, um, without kind of needing to be restored to, uh, to a, uh, normative idea of what an average or, or a quote unquote normal person should, should be like. Um, but you know, he, he, in the, in the future he has, uh, you know, he has like uh bitch and eye prosthetics. So, you you know that he, so he he gets he gets his eyes and i i think this past and this future are throwaway timelines you know i i think they exist only for oh, the yeah. the you know 90 minutes or so that that the um the episode is is running and aren't actually and and they sort of yeah. poof disappear yeah they say that at the end so the other big one i think is the relationship between the riker troy wharf love triangle and the uh, temporal anomaly, which is pretty on the nose uh, and, and very Star Trek. The idea that the human story matches up really closely to the sci fi story uh, and the B plot and the A plot are kind of two different ways of saying the same thing. And so so the idea being right that the temporal anomaly and this is very Proustian. It's very like remembrance of things past and th- people being kind of tortured by their sense of loss about things that have happened before. Uh, one way of disca- describing anti-time would be as memory, right? Time moves forward, memory looks back, right? When you when your life goes on, your past gets bigger and your future gets smaller, which is not the general way that phenomena in real life, right, in the observable universe necessarily always would happen, right? Um, you would think of growth as something where something is bigger in the future than in the past. Of course, there's entropy and all that stuff. But there's this tension between, well, we would expect the temporal anomaly to get bigger in the future. No, this is a temporal anomaly that reaches back. And if we think about, you know, our Proust and kind of love plots and and, and affairs with, you know, long lost loves, this the Jordy, uh, sorry, Jordy. I, I, I just uh, slash fiction that a little bit. The Riker Wharf Troy uh, angle is that you know before the show starts. Oh my god, right? the Jordy Wharf relationship is my favorite. Uh, you know, <laughs> in in all of TNG. You don't like Rose slash Barkley? That's not your favorite. All the all the on the Star Trip. I like I like Barkley. I I I ship a uh, holodeck Troy. Barkley's holodeck Troy and uh, Jordy's holodeck Leah Brahms. Um, who who by the way who he marries, which is creepy. All right. Yeah, that's true. So 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 the the idea is that you know in the past. Troy and Riker were together, and then they're kind of off again, on again, together through the sh- first few seasons of the show, I think. Like, they have a tension or something. Do they actually get together again and date more, or is it all that they're exes? That I don't remember. 
I'll turn to you, Matt, for an answer on that. Detroit and Riker date during Star I Trek for, You know what? I, honestly, I forget. Yes, I think maybe there may be some like flirtations with it's it. It's a but- perpe- perplexingly sexless show for a show that shows like women in skin-tight jumpsuits constantly. Right. Like it's like we don't really see a lot of relationships. Oh, happening. you know, what was yeah. you know, it was like a, a a fun, like little. Oh, yeah. A reminder of the past when Picard goes back to the uh, when old Picard comes onto the Enterprise and the people are wearing uh, the skirts, the Starfleet uniform yeah. skirts. And do you remember that they they put uh, one or two little men and I shouldn't say little. It's it's demeaning. But that's I think that actually gets to the heart of what the point I'm trying to make. Um, they put one or two men extras, male extras in the, the background in the Star Trek uniform skirts uh, as well. And just had them go back without, you know, uh, back, back and forth the, the same way that everyone in Star Trek is referred to as sir, uh, that it becomes right. a, it becomes a genderless pronoun. Um, and it, it refers, you know, simply to a superior officer. Right, right, right. And so, so you've got you've got Riker, you've got Troy, you've got Worf, and Riker and Troy were together. And then in this episode, we're seeing a burgeoning romance between Troy and Worf happen. But then we see in the future that Troy is dead, and Riker and Worf don't talk to each other. And and when you think about the kind of uh, what the temporal anomaly does, right, is that it's got the three different beams that are all intersecting in the middle with the result that the past kind of becomes this huge deal. And then the whole kind of family unit is destroyed. Right. The whole the whole kind of like Star Trek family is kind of blown up uh, retroactively because this death of Troy becomes so crippling. And in much in the same way, kind of. Uh, in kind of a subtle way, it's not really shouted at, but in much the same way that Picard goes to all three timelines and fires a tachyon pulse from the Enterprise into the same place, which causes the anomaly. In each timeline, he also disrupts a different leg of the uh, Troy Riker Wharf stool. Right. He in the first in the in the young Picard, he decides not to pick up Riker at Farpoint Station at the beginning. Like Riker never joins the Enterprise in the first place. And Troy tells him, oh, like we were exes. Right. It was a long time ago. And the idea is that in this timeline, Picard has has created something of an anti time. He's prevented the Troy Riker relationship from going forward in any way other than what's already happened. Riker is gone. Then in the present, he walks in on the end of Worf and Troy's romantic date on the Black Sea, right? And presumably uh, walking in and as a, as a medium old man in his pajamas disrupts any sort of uh, nation attempt at boot knocking that might pro- you know, proceed from thence during the commercial break, right? And uh, and so that gets kind of split up and busted up. So you've broken up Troy and Riker, you've broken up Troy and uh, Worf, and in the future. He asks Riker to help him. Riker says no. He asks Worf to help him. Worf also says no, but he shames Worf into helping him and forces Worf to help him, which then causes Worf and Riker to have an even deeper animosity towards each other. Right. And so I thought it was interesting that, like, without realizing it, Picard is kind of confounding any sort of relationship that these three people might arrive at and is dissolving their social bonds without even thinking about it. Right. And so and at the end, of course, it's like, okay, everything gets healed. Um, because Picard tells the story and it's like, Hey, everybody, this is what could happen. Um, you know, we should all learn from this. We should learn that the future can change. We should learn that we have an opportunity to not be this thing that we've been in the past. Uh, I, I do think it's really interesting though, that in that conversation they have at the end and when, when Worf and Riker are like, you know, we really, we should, we should make sure that we stay, we stay friends in the future. Right. It's pretty intense, right? Like, uh, let's not allow each other to fall out. 
uh, over our uh, the fact that I wish that I could have gotten with Troy and it never happened. Uh, I, I wish that Troy would have gotten with me again and she didn't, which is the anti-time, right? And Worf being like, I wanted to have a future with Troy and I didn't, which is the time, right? And the time and the anti-time are annihilating the universe. Um, but then all the conversation all happens when Troy isn't in the room. And Troy comes into the room at the end and it's like, does Troy know that in this timeline she's dead? That she dies like several years after the events of the middle time? Did anyone tell her? Are they going to prevent the death of Troy? We never find out why Troy died, right? Or how Troy died. Um, presumably the idea is that she was, uh, she was actually, they had a phaser duel and she just got caught in the crossfire. (laughs) You'll get caught up in the, um, but yeah, like I would hope that the, that, uh, in my sort of head canon, the reconciliation of Riker and Worf and then right work actually Worf actually dating Troy, which he's afraid to do because he's afraid of Troy's past with Riker. He doesn't want to hurt Riker. But if he moves forward with that, maybe there's some way in which she doesn't die. Of course, he ends up with Dax, uh, um, which is, of course, another example of uh, DS9 doing something that was tried out in Star Trek TNG better than TNG did. But uh, of which there are many examples, including this probably this very episode. But um, but yeah, this is the idea that that through all of it, there are these human relationships with characters that you care about that are being mirrored and also kind of being intercut with different happenings. Um the collisions of the of the beams right uh going through it and then and at the end uh you know picard reconciling the two of them by storming into the 10 forward going into the center of things and kind of humiliating himself but getting everybody back together again right is is a kind of interesting uh interesting kind of repair of that situation but then there's also the scenes with crusher i mean mark did you like the scenes with beverly crusher in this she's a big part of this episode and her participation in star trek episodes in tng is like fairly uneven so do you have any strong feelings about beverly crusher or her appearances here uh, well, I should say Beverly Picard, I should say. Captain before, Picard. Before I get for, to that, just okay. a, a quick fact check on this. Like, Was there romantic tension between Picard and Crusher? Yes. Um, yes. It, it prior, I, I thought there was. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So like, and oh, she actually, finally... she, she shuts him down uh, earlier in the show. They have a, there's an episode mm-hmm. where they're... Um, uh, trapped together, I think, in a like a cave-in or something, or someone's leg is caught under. They can't get out. They're they're forced into proximity, and they also get telepathy so that they can hear each other's thoughts. And they both realize that they're. <laughs> what are you laughing about? What are you laughing about, guys? This is completely natural. This is excellent storytelling. This is uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, they uh and and they realize that they both sort of are uh, attracted to one another that that it goes beyond the kind of warm friendship uh that that is all they will let it be and that they have they have feelings that could you know veer into romance if they yeah, were so inclined and uh at the end picard like very sensitively it's a, it's actually like okay so so say say what you will and i could say plenty about the kind of the stilted um the stilted dialogue of of the next generation and and you know the the sort of ham uh ham handed uh way it has of showing people like communicating like anything other than other than people it did uh it did kind of model 
in a in a way that I suppose became influential for me because I watched these like I watched these when they first happened. You know, like I was on the Star Trek train from seven years old. So my my having this show in particular in my bones is uh, not a choice for me. It's just it's just part of my DNA. And there has to have been some effect of it modeling like communication uh, between the sexes in a way. And it's it's very evolved. What Picard says. Um, to, you know, he says to, to Beverly, perhaps now that we both know that we have these feelings, we should not be afraid to, uh, to explore them. And she says, but perhaps we should. Shutting him down savagely, but my boy Picard believes in nothing less than enthusiastic consent. And he's, uh, you know, and he respectfully treats his, uh, you know, respected colleague and longtime friend, you know, with the, the boundaries and limitations that, that she has set around their relationship. Boom. That's, that's, that's my boy. Uh, woke before it was a thing. Or four centuries after. Yeah, you could you could write whole books on like the the messed up nature of like fraternization and relationships between superior and subordinate officers in Star Trek. It's like it's all over the place, right? There's I, no well, consistency. Yeah, well, I mean, society uh, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. also like I mean, it's the thing like you know who like don't don't have a romance with people you work with. Well, who else are you? Who who do you meet? As, a, as an adult, that's that's why dating apps are a thing. Like no one's no one does People anything anymore. Go to the CrossFit gym. That's so I so I hear. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I recommend um, that. Yeah, sure, go for yeah. it. Okay, okay, all right. So let's let's talk about um, Picard and Beverly. Uh, pr- can we call it what? Um, uh, pressure <laughs> in, the, in this episode. Under pressure. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So I, it's there primarily. I don't have like a super strong feeling about it. But let's just unpack it, right? Um, it's, it, it shows them having gotten divorced as yet another way to kind of dismantle old Picard, right? To like knock him off of the pedestal that we're used to him seeing in and to just further reduce him in the eyes of other people in the future. He's old, he's senile and his marriage failed, right? Like is, he's like, Picard didn't turn out that great. Um, that's, I think like the, the, the main function of, of that romance there, I, to, to stretch maybe a little bit, I think it does connect to what I was saying earlier about how the, the, one of the, uh, the the morals of the show is like condemning like the very linear, straightforward definitions of success and just kind of like the default modes of achieving and doing more. And in Picard's case, like, you know, finally settling down and getting married um, because that did, turned out to not have worked out. Um, I, I, that's not super there in in a in a very big or important way but maybe it's 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 kind of there in the middle i don't know what do you guys think of pressure i'll tell you what didn't work out gates mcfadden's airsats mid-atlantic accent that's what didn't (laughs) work out (laughs) sorry it's just was it just me or did she sound really stupid the whole damn thing and like it was it was always like a beverly thing a little bit but uh, all i could think is like wow she is articulating wow she like someone read their edith skinner speak with distinction you know uh i i, I did notice that yeah it's like wow she sounds funny does yeah. she always 
this? A little bit. It was always a, a like a slight feature of the character, but I guess I guess Gates McFadden decided made the choice that like in in older age, you know, this this tendency in her speech would become more pronounced. Which I don't know. Do people's accents? Do people's stupid accents get thicker as they get older? <laughs> I don't know. Pete, you live in Boston. You tell me. <laughs> no, oh, it's actually a problem of of uh, survivorship bias. The older people <laughs> who live in a place will have a thicker accent. <laughs> Because they don't move, and the people with less with less thick accents are people who moved more often. Um, so that's not the causality of it. But and, anti, and that's why, and that's yeah. why Boston is literally frozen in time, and there are no there are no young Bostonians. There no, are, none. It's a very old city with no children. Uh, you know, sure, uh, with a, no children and a thousand colleges. Um, yeah, I think I think she's also uh, she's she's the she's the viewer. Uh, surrogate right she's the one who's like oh picard you're leaving us and and i and i love you so much i've loved you this whole time and when you're gone you know i'm gonna like follow in your footsteps you taught me there's a romantic relationship for sure there's this sort of marriage that existed and and dissolved but there's also this idea of like uh her being the person that understood that picard was kind of done before everybody else did and having the compassion for him in that context to want to kind of finalize and carry forward his legacy. Uh, I mean, she takes his name, right? Even after they divorce in the future, uh, where presumably you don't even have to do anything. Um, you don't even have to have names. There's no property or anything. You don't have to change your name if you don't have to use money, right? What's the what's the point? Um, I guess they need it for the replicators and whatnot. But but what I mean is that the conversations that Crusher has with Picard about his dementia, right, and then about their marriage seem like conversations that the sort of Star Trek fan group or the sort of community of artists or the sort of general cultural relationship of the, you know, if you if you take all of culture and you and you make one circle and the circle is, you know, Star Trek, the next generation. Uh, then like Beverly Crusher in this episode represents everything else, right? In particular, everything else that's touching Star Trek The Next Generation and is influenced by it. Um, You know, like, yes, you know, sure, the show is over, right? It's canceled, but we're going on one last ride, right? We're taking John Luke Picard on one last mission because if that's what he wants, that's what we're going to do. it just sort of seemed, which is interesting because it intersects with this which idea. Which is a terrible of, yeah. waste of military resources. And a terrible waste of CBS's resources as well <laughs> <laughs> to do another freaking Picard show in 2020. Look, Matt, I used to think that honor and duty and loyalty meant something to you. <laughs> 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 Says us who've been doing the same podcast for 11 years. <laughs> Does loyalty mean anything to you? Yes. Uh, why speaking speaking, speaking of arrested development, not changing. Right? <laughs> Progressing. Yeah. For sure. that we're talking about. Yeah, it's like, you know, when you just let senile old men just direct a military strike wherever you want, wherever they want to do, like it's going to get the whole galaxy into a (laughs) geopolitical mess, right? In this sort of, in this like proxy state, this proxy area, the neutral zone, you know, between the two, uh, between the two, uh, warring parties, um, Wait, by the well, way, Matt, that yeah, Matt, the the temporal anomaly is threatening to destroy all of humanity. Of course, you have to fire the inverse tachyon beam into it. I, well, sure, I suppose the the uh, what that's that's what we do. You know, it's a. Uh, <laughs> 
Really? Uh, you're missing a... the fact that that's the inverse tactile beam is what causes the temporal. Oh, no, you're right. I can't. Oh, it's good. <laughs> and the uh, time, Matt. And it's the a, time. Oh, it's a paradox. Oh, okay. <laughs> Q has decided that I'm worthy of hosting, hosting a podcast. Good. Yeah, Q visits every podcast eventually in that in that director's chair. Did you notice that? How he's in the director's chair on a big old uh, dolly or what is that thing? Oh, a crane, right? What's that weird word they use in film for something that lifts something high? Oh, a crane. Right? <laughs> um, but it isn't the back of Q's throne like a director's chair and he's kind of approaching on the uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they just dressed yeah. up a camera crane and like pulled it in to have him uh, give that speech. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So Q is like you know is is from the Q continuum. The Q continuum is definitely the network that has decided that the show is going to be canceled. But Q is uh you know from an executive from the network who is showing some mercy, mercy, and is letting the show go out on on a good note. But he has to let give his notes right. He's like, oh, concerned about Riker's career, listening to Troy's pedantic psychobabble. Right. It's like all the banal, banal things about Star Trek that someone could complain about. I definitely saw uh, Q in that role. You didn't, I, I got you didn't, you didn't have that. to worry about Riker. He actually Jonathan Frakes became a like a pretty good, like very serviceable director of like sort of action television and stuff and actually directed a couple of, of Star Trek movies that were not. Uh, you know, that were, that were good, that were sort of workmanlike, you know, not a, not a director of like genius or, or particular distinction, but a, uh, a good, good craftsperson, I think. He, he was no, he's no JJ Abrams. No groundbreaking, you know, Star Trek into darkness. Oh, geez. <laughs> wow. You know, Mark, when, when, uh, when future Pete comes to us to tell us to do one last podcast, this is the time we're going to remember <laughs> as when we, <laughs> as when we fell out. Uh, I mean, hey, guys, remember when we were excited for JJ Abrams to be taking over and rebooting Star Trek and then excited he was coming over to take over reboot Star Wars yeah, I, as well. I remember What's more, that? more recently we were excited that, that Justin Lin was going <laughs> to do yeah. a, uh, I stand Trek. by it. Star Trek Beyond is great. That is unambiguously a great it's, movie, and everybody should oh, watch it's, it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's good. Yeah, it was very entertaining. Sorry, I, 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 everybody I, I mispronounced. Fine. I mispronounced Matt. Hey, listen, I'm I'm like I'm the guy who literally said on this podcast that Star Trek Insurrection is great, and yeah. everybody <laughs> should watch it. And uh, F. Murray Abraham, you know. Uh, by the way, as an alien who doesn't want to to age around the fountain of youth planet right like as a as a scenery chewing uh star trek villain who gets a fantastic no death <laughs> you know in that spoiler alert for star trek in insurrection the greatest episode of star trek ever released as a feature motion picture um and by the way in the in the presence of the fountain of youth uh for an oddly sexist show troy and Riker take a bath together what? Um, yeah, they actually show them. Uh, it's the also path. after they got married, by the way. And um, um, so wait, Troy and Riker get married. So Troy and Worf don't. Well, Troy gets with Dax, right? And then Troy Riker, has Riker this, uh, yeah. Worf gets with Dax. And, the, and yeah, sorry, but yeah. then Troy uh, gets with Dax, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Troy and Curzon Dax have a romance. That's one of my Troy, yeah, yeah. That's that's one of my favorite slash fiction pairings. Noah uh, and in Star Trek Into Insurrection, in the presence of the Fountain of Youth, they get everyone gets a little frisky. They get in the they get in the bath. Uh, Worf gets a pimple. 
And that's the, uh, yeah, that's the thing. He shows up (laughs) with this giant, you know, glowing pink Klingon pimple, uh, (laughs) in in the, uh, uh, on the bridge. And, and, um, yeah, everyone, no one can, no one can do it. And, and Donna Murphy, uh, is in it and she's wonderful as well. Star Trek. And so, so if there's one thing to take away from this, this, um, analysis of uh the best of both worlds part one and two it's that you should go see star trek insurrection and uh <laughs> and at the end it's really great uh when Worf uses the deflector dish to fire on the borg spoiler alert for uh the best of both worlds part one so okay so <laughs> bring it bring talked- it home bring it home pete all right so we've been talking about uh all good things right um, I always, I always used to talk with uh, one of my best friends about how that statement kind of has two possible endings, right? Uh, all good things must come to an end. All good things, you know, come to those who wait, right? Good things come to those who wait, and it's sort of a dot, dot, dot of like, uh, you know, the future could be good, you know, the future could be death, uh, but you know, the time brings all good things as well as all bad things, and nothing lasts forever, even cold November rain. With all that in mind. Picard's suiting up again, guys. He's coming back, and we're going to get another Picard show. And it is it is interesting to consider the relationship for where the story. I guess this where the story is right between where it ends. I mean, I guess are we are we supposed to? I I, I am like not interested in the canonical answer to this question, right? The question being, does the Picard show come after all the movies or does it come after the TV show, right? Does the, are all of the Star Trek, the next generation movies canonical is, is the question that I don't care about the answer to, but kind of want a artistic answer to, right? I want to know whether the Picard show is going to kind of involve the more violent Picard, the Picard who has like met and killed his evil twin, right? By stabbing him in the gut with a spear that he then pulls towards himself or whatever it is, right? Like, um, like dune buggy Picard, uh, are we getting like post dune buggy Picard who's gone through all this stuff with firing Tommy guns at the Borg and all that, or are we getting a, or are we supposed to be thinking of this as following the end of the show? Um, I mean, from what I I understand, Pete, the answer is the former. And okay. that it really addresses uh, his ongoing trauma from his Borg experience. So, um, so which we, we you, you know, was uh, obviously very much the focal point of uh, Star Trek First Contact. But, um, you know, I guess, you know, it's PTSD, right? It lasts. So, uh, so, the, so, so uh, it's so everything is canon. More, not uh, everything. As, everything, as like, far as I know, yeah. It's going to have lots of fan service. It's going to pull in lots of things. Maybe it won't be coherent, but it's going to pull everything together. Um which is kind of unfortunate because I do like how this story ends. I like all good things as an ending to this story. And I'm curious about what the challenge would be to start a story that ends here. What this makes me think of is uh, Avengers Infinity War and how it was kind of a disappointment, though I understand why they would do it, that the Russo brothers didn't start Endgame with the end of Infinity War, really. Like Endgame isn't Infinity War 2. It's very it's very different. It kind of goes in very kind of skewed directions, like plot wise. It starts where the other one ends. But just the whole sort of style and themes and and the way and the tone of it. And and obviously there's going to be a tonal shift. But but there feels like a pretty big discontinuity. And there's a whole lot of stuff that skipped. 
so that you're sort of starting a little bit to the side. And I know that the idea is you want it to be surprising. You you want you don't think that you think it'll be boring for, to have to kind of start the same story all over again. It'll turn off people who haven't seen the previous movie. But it would have been cool to see a Star Trek Picard show that kind of started with the spirit of this episode of the series. Uh, though I guess they agree with you that the the. Um, that Locutus is really the the center of gravity of Picard's character and is the place where you really want to pick it up. I agree with you, Pete, but it's like kind of all impossible at this Mm. point, right? You know, Manu, the author of Treconomics, who's been uh, on this podcast a few times, has basically put out and said that, like, you know, the business model of the Next Generation show, which is, like, heavy on episodic storytelling and just kind of like, you know, the fun philosophical conundrum of the week, um, that's just not possible anymore. It was a unique thing for its time, and it's really not doable now, where the economics like very much prioritizes serialized storytelling with lots of drawn-out drama and uh, you know villains that you can sink your teeth into, that sort of thing, which is not the kind of like the, you know, well, let's explore the paradox of the three tachyon beams and the anti-time, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. It's, it, it's disappointing, but again, to the point of the episode, all good things must come to an end, Pete. We all got to move on. Well, but I mean, I'm not even talking about the style of the show. I'm talking about Picard as somebody who is kind of composed and and kind of continent and restrained, who is just sort of starting to open up to people rather than somebody who is kind of burned out and uh, and like haunted. Right. Picard has a presence in the TV show that I would love to. That I mean, it's good to see in the movies, too, but I don't know that they've. It's it's hard to duplicate, I guess, is what I'm saying. It's hard to – there's something – I think that people – one of the reasons people stick with Star Trek The Next Generation and keep watching it is because of the presence that Patrick Stewart brings to that role. And I'm just not convinced that a, a whole lot of the extended media has managed to reproduce it. Uh, it's not an easy thing to reproduce. And maybe maybe for most of Star Trek The Next Generation, it's not even there, and it's just in a couple of episodes or something. I don't know. Um but uh, I don't want to go back to the old chestnut of like, I wish Star Trek was still optimistic and everybody wasn't all thinking that like everything is terrible um, because that, you know, we we wrote way too much about that when we wrote about Discovery. Um, but it's just it's just I'm, I'm curious. I am curious and interesting and interested. And I'm curious if our listeners are interested in uh, where Picard is going and what happens um, well, and, uh, and how it relates to the end of the story as we've understood it. Thoughts about uh, thoughts about the next generation, your own canonical ordering of the seasons uh, of quality in the next generation. Thoughts about Picard and uh, what you've heard about the Picard show uh, with links, if you please. And, uh, you know, your thoughts about what could be good in the comments. Uh, go to the show notes for this episode on the website and, and uh, you can leave a comment there and join the discussion. Uh, with that, we thank you very much for listening, and I thank uh, Pete and Mark for going on one last one last podcast with me. This is the last <laughs> overthinking it podcast. <laughs> Until, Until the next one. one. Until the next yeah. one. We'll be back next week with uh, with more overthinking it podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably. It probably doesn't deserve deserve where no one has gone before mr wharf fire uh i'm whoopi goldberg <laughs> and i'm the bartender
<laughs> what is, did she say any lines that are really memorable? I'm trying to remember. Um, you have to go okay. to the next. You have to go to the Nexus. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. You don't have to go to the Nexus. <laughs>